Hello, uh, welcome to the next episode of the Challenge Podcast. Once again, joined by my friend Jakub. I really have to resist the urge to talk about Truva Mulia and David Marrero at the beginning of this show. Uh, but <laughs> I'm I will so mad. Through. I'm so mad about this because I literally last night I go on Bet365. <laughs> I find out that this is the matchup. I go on Bet365 and I'm like, whatever the odds are, I am betting Druva Mulia in this match because there's absolutely no way that David Marrero, his coach, is not letting him win it. It was just like, I, I remember a situation in Slovakia where we had two brothers playing mm-hmm. and it was the older brothers last year in that age category. So he wasn't really playing for ranking points. He was just playing for whatever. And his younger brother was earning to play, uh, was playing to earn uh, ranking points for the next year in that mm-hmm. age category and under 18s. And he absolutely tanked the match, the older brother. And like, th- there's no way David Marrero is not playing for anything in this in yeah. this qualifying at all uh, he's absolutely and then seeing the odds were 11 for druva uh, honestly I, I, I'm on, so, on, on I'm polish so bookies i saw it was six um so 11 was also quite a bit of surprise for me but yeah even six i mean it, it was so obvious to me also that uh Marero was gonna win yeah. this much yeah of course uh the though if you're if you have no idea what we're talking about this was an itf qualifying match between david marero and druva mulia david marero the former doubles number five uh, Druva Mulia, the wildcard legend. Even in challengers, they got a few. Uh, as a pair, they, they, they play a lot of challenger doubles together. Yeah, yeah. as a pair, they're uh, one in twenty-three, and that one win is against Popko and the FCAF when Popko retired due to di- dizziness. So, yeah, <laughs> legendary pairing for sure. And yeah, when, when you see a guy. Spitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, when the, when the, you see a guy like Marero, who, as you said, I mean, he, he's not playing it for anything. Whatever the agreement between Marero and Mulia is, you know, Mulia was zero and thirty-one in singles coming into this one. So yeah, it was it was pretty obvious. Uh, it kind of feels like um, me. Uh, I played with some some table tennis events with my dad, and when, if we got uh, you know if if we got placed into the same group or something, it was just such a farce anytime because uh, you know even if it was close he was gonna give me the win i don't think it was ever really that close at a tournament between us but the sheer um idea of that was just so taxing for me and i didn't i wasn't able to focus i wasn't even able to you know concentrate yeah. on, on the match it was it was so weird and, and, I guess and ma- ma- maybe that's why maybe, maybe that's why druva mulia lost that first set <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it it made sense for them, I guess, to be on the court for like an hour and a half. Uh, but yeah, they're basically speeding in the faces of um, you know of the TIU and uh, the or now the ITIA. But they've been for a while. Uh, see, a, a, any also, any hmm. investigation into this would not would find out would would suspend both of them from playing tennis mm-hmm. forever, just I because mean, like it is so obvious. They're and buying like, wild cards. And any amount of investigation into into their coaching relationship, I think would would. I don't know. I mean, th- they are buying wild cards, but you know, a lot of tournaments are selling wild cards. So yeah, um, I in the past you could never really say that they for sure fixed because they weren't but this even and winning the matches. Win, you know, uh, the Popko win it could have been just Popko actually, right? Like. They don't have to be involved. It, it he, only he, has he, to be he has definitely had some some suspicious betting patterns and stuff like that in the past. <laughs> Bobko, so that, that that that's why I think we're like 
the insinuating that he may be yeah they don't uh, have to be involved in this right if you're if you're playing but, Marero Muria, like yeah. you know you're gonna win if you're like a very decent pro and then you have that idea that maybe i should fix right but yeah anyway <laughs> uh we we started with this uh weird thing but as as jakub said they've been playing a lot of challenger doubles and anytime it's it's pretty farcical and uh yeah of course, um, I, I don't really think that even at 40 year, two years of age, David Marrero would be losing this much. He and was also connected to some match fixing scandal in the past. So, you know, wouldn't be the first time. Uh, but he did have that one season with Verdasco, of course, where they uh, yeah. won the tour finals. I, I, I'm sure they made the tour finals, maybe even made the final of that. I'm not sure yeah. they won it. But um, 2013, I think that was. Anyway, st- enough of Muria Marrero. Let's talk about challenger tennis for. Yeah, uh, from, from, right from the utter lows of tennis, we go to the utter highs with the longest challenger final ever played in paw between Luca Vanash and Ugo Umber, 7 6, 4 6, 7 6 won by Vanash. He had a match point at 5-4, returning, didn't get that one. Then Umber has two match points uh, in that third set tie break. Vanash saves them. He wins the match. Um, unbelievably long match. What, what, what did you think of it? Yeah, surely something historical. Um, I don't know if this is a record that cannot be beaten. It probably can, but of course, in the best of, in the best of free format, it's kind of tough. Uh, last year we had a match between Echeverri and Olivo for our 17, but that wasn't the final. Uh, so I think it was a quarter, maybe, or even around two. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be hard to beat it. Uh, the previous record holders at three hours, 31 minutes were De Varman over Nien in, uh, Winnetka 2015. And last year, Olivieri over Echeverri in Montevideo, which, um, I remember you had Echeverri as a peak there and it was a, a huge shocker. I was actually kind of surprised that three hours, 31 minutes was the, was the longest, but I remember, of course, I remember this being a storyline, uh, when, uh, when, uh, when Olivieri beat Echeverri very uh, when they tied the record right now we have a new one of course uh yeah uh honestly there, there, there were some moments in the match maybe when the quality dipped but over the course of four hours it's understandable it's still uh something very memorable something that is going to be very hard to beat of course this year in terms of like you know uh, conversation about the best finals. Um, Umber had this moment at free love, especially in the third set when it seemed like it's just done. Uh, you know, the guy, uh, w- had only been broken once in the whole event until that point. And then he just drops the next, uh, three games. I think even, uh, four games, sorry. And then has, then has to save a break point. As he said, he also had to save a match point at four five, but he also had break points at four all. So it was just long, long games all the time. Uh, all sets, I think, yeah, went e- over Yeah, e- each hour. of the first two sets began with like a super long yeah. deuce game with the break points and everything. And I think that definitely added to the to the running total of the match. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about who we had it there. Luka Vanash, our champion here. His third challenger title, his fifth final, all have been since the end of September. Last year, it's been a meteoric rise. He beat Litu in the first round, actually dropped the set to Litu. Uh, then beat Heis Brauer in a third set tiebreaker. So it was a tough, tough start for him. Then comes back from a set down against Rodionov. Beats Rinderknecht 6-1-6-3. Not sure what happened in that match. Um, but now beats Ugombeir to win this title. Up 39 spots to, to number 110, 40 points away. One spot now above uh, Arthur Fields, which is also fun. What did you think of Luka Vanash this week? Yeah, it's a good race now between Vanash and Fields. That's true. 
And I think both of them actually we we're kind of not sure when they're gonna play next because they they aren't signed up for anything. Like Fils is signed up for Miami main draw, but he's not gonna get in. And the same for Vanash. He's got he's signed up for Miami main draw, but he's not gonna get in. So uh we've got no clue when they're gonna play next, actually. Uh but yeah, um of course, since the end of last year, we've been mentioning that Luca Vanash sort of has to break the top 100 this year that he's positioned so well but you still need to earn the points and until this week he wasn't doing that of course some of that was coming from the fact that uh well he mostly played uh, ATP tour events uh like Montpellier like Marseille like um the Australian Open and he still hasn't earned an ATP tour win but you know if he plays more ATP events, he can run into guys like Rinderneh or Umber, right? And these are actual ATP tour quality wins. Um, so fair play to him for that, of course. As he said, I mean, he dropped four sets along the way. Um, but that's kind of, that's kind of his game, even in the final against Umber. Uh, you know, he wasn't really in control of that much. Uh, like, not in terms of just, you know, having, having control over the rallies, but that's, uh, against such players, he kind of needs to, that, that, that's what it needs to be. Uh, but, but definitely, even though he still hasn't, um, you know, he still hasn't won a match on the main tour, uh, he has come close, uh, in some, um, some occasions, like against Westler, like against Nishioka. And yeah, as I said, Umber, Rinderneck, these are actual main tour quality wins. So yeah, no doubt really at this point that Luca Van Asch will be breaking the top 100 this year, but I guess we still kind of expect him to struggle there. But for now, of course, a fantastic run. And yeah, something did, did something historical today. Although I'd say in the, you know, in the most important moments of this match, he was also helped quite a lot. Uh, so I'm going to bring it back to the Phil's comparison. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're ranked next to each other at the moment. Who do you think finishes higher at the end of the year? And whose career overall do you think finishes as the superior one? I mean, the second question seems very easy. Uh, I'm not a believer in uh, Luca Van Asch, you know, being... Uh, I don't know. It's hard to give like a ranking estimate, but, um, being, uh, lo- making a long lasting impact on the, on the main tour, it doesn't really seem possible without, um, you know, some huge changes to his game. This is kind of just ready at this point. Uh, I know he lost to Chida here, which maybe we'll talk about when you know, it comes to outset of the week. I'm, I'm, I still haven't chosen as usual. Uh, but, um, yeah, uh, that's the second question seems super obvious that it should be feels. Uh, when it comes to the ranking at the end of the year, you know, uh, it also seems like it should be feels for me. It's possible though, I'm going to say that, that maybe Van Asch can get to a higher ranking that feels will, but then maybe drop off with the, uh, you know, late, um, late year four challenger finals. Um, uh, you know, if he's not going to defend that, if he's just going to play main tour events at that time, but I, I would go feels for both. And I, I'm pretty sure you would too, right? Yes, yeah, I, I I do see Phil's as the as the higher potential guy overall, uh, especially what he showed this year so far compared to what Vanash showed. Vanash finally you know came alive with this run, but Phil's has been great all year up until this weird loss to Uchida, which yeah. neither was expected, as we both picked him for the for the title. Um, but yeah, Phil's feels definitely in in both categories for me. Let's go to our finalist Ugo Umber, eleventh challenger final. He started by beating Galvin Emery, 6-4 in the third, then took out Borg, Bellier, and Uchida, all in straight sets. Moves up 12 spots, number 77 in the rankings. What did you think of Umber this week? 
Yeah, great that he was back, uh, you know, back healthy so early after that Davidovich Fokina injury, because I remember some, I guess it was speculation simply uh, after this, um, you know, after this retirement that maybe it was going to take him out for a bit longer. I'm not saying like half a year, but like two months, you know, six weeks, he was back in basically free. So that's, uh, that's amazing for him. And yeah, um, at, at various points of the week, he definitely looked like the strongest player, uh, you know, he looked like the strongest player until Freelove in the designing set against Van Lash as well, <laughs> for sure. Um, and of course, he also had two match points in the final. But I think overall in the tie break, um, the deciding set tie break, I think he committed like five backhand and forced errors. And uh, yeah, that ultimately that proved a bit too much. And then the last four points uh, were, yeah, not great. Just just, just an unforced error after unforced error. And I think he also made two unforced errors on the four all break points in the deciding set. So um, yeah, he kind of gave it away. You you got to say it uh, if someone yeah, is leading I, I thought he had with a double bag. break in the third. Hmm? Yeah, I, I, I thought he had in the back up three loves yeah. in the deciding set. I, I thought Banash was absolutely done. He was then then lifted partially by the crowd, who I think wanted more of a competitive deciding set. They were very much pulling for him in those in those break points in those situations uh, early in that deciding set. I think um, even since the beginning, uh, Van Asch was getting a lot more cheers. You know, maybe maybe it's just an um, underdog factor or something like that. Possibly, yeah. Let's talk about our semi-finalists, starting with Kaichi Uchida, who, as we said, beat Atwood Fields to open his tournament. Then took out Berankis and Locoli as well. Back-to-back challenger semifinals for Uchida. What did you think of him this week? Um, just some uh, fun facts as um, I wanted to check if maybe Vanash was born near Po or something like that. And actually, um, I did not know that. So probably a lot of you guys probably didn't either. Um, Luca Vanash was born in Belgium. And that oh. means nothing literally for our discussion, but it, it is interesting. Kaichi Uchida, yeah, second <laughs> second semifinal in a row. That was um, quite a weird achievement. And of course, the the, the route he had here, uh, Fuse, Berankis, Locoli, you know, even Berankis in his kind of washed state at this point. But Locoli uh, was just was coming off a very solid showing in Marseille, where he almost took out Gasquet. If it wasn't for some washed up volleys, he, he would have gotten his... I don't know. It's probably not his first main main to win because I think he won a match at the French ones. But uh, you know, one of the the biggest wins of his career, as we said, that phenomenal feels upset. He is, of course, uh, a pretty talented shot maker and maybe a bit of an um, you know um, inconsistent player for sure. But uh, yeah, a couple of semifinals is great for him. I think uh, in general, um, someone someone texted me about Uchida this this weekend, said something about him like never really having a challenger season of more than fifty percent wins. And yeah, when I'm looking at it right now, yeah, it's basically true. Like he's always at forty something. Uh, over like uh, you know the, the seasons when he played a lot of challenger events, so like four up until this point, maybe even five, and right now he's at sixty percent. So if, if he could keep that up, he he has a, he has the potential, you know, to um, stick around around that um, one fifty level, let's say. And and yeah, it's just a bit of a shame that he was unable to pose any threat to Gombert in the semifinals. Yeah, and I mean, look, so far this year on indoor hard courts, he's nine and three. If you include that win over Kashnikovsky in, in Davis Cup, he's nine and three. These two semis and the Odinier quarterfinal wins over Rodinov feels 
I mean, it's it's a pretty impressive red that he's on right now, and I'm and I'm curious if he can do anything more with it. Yeah, just the two thrashings by Passado, by Passado on outdoor hardcourts kind of bring him down. Yes, yeah, well, yeah. The the outdoor hardcourts result have not been as have, have not been as good. Was into Gasto Elias as well at the Australian Open, not not ideal. Um, but let's go back to the challengers. Aturarinda Rechnech was the other semifinalists, um, beating Hugo Blanchet. Valentin Royer and Jan Lennart Struff before losing to Luca Vanash. What were your thoughts on Rinderknecht this week? Yeah, I wish I was able to see that semi against Vanash, but it wasn't. Um, and yeah, that, that scoreline was so weird for me because uh, I thought maybe even Royer can challenge him after Blanchet did. Uh, Struff, Rinderknecht, I thought was amazing in that match. So <laughs> yeah, no clue what happened in the semis, but uh, of course he really needs playtime right now and some confidence. And I guess uh, yeah, playing a challenger was a pretty good way to achieve that. I suppose he's also going to play in Phoenix. I haven't checked that, but I'm checking it now. Yeah, but yeah, Phoenix is going to be a bit of a different challenger, I suppose. So it's not guaranteed to give him confidence, but... Um, I hope this run did give him something because, yeah, since the beginning of 2023, it's been very rough for the Frenchman. Yeah, let's move on to the doubles. And let's see if somebody else you want to talk about. From no, I think we can. I think we can go over. All right, in the doubles, Dan Eded and Albana Olivetti lifted the title, their fifteenth title together as a pairing, which I had no idea about. Oh wow, which is really? So weird, considering Eded is only twenty-three, but yeah, they won a boatload of futures together yeah. uh, in like 2019, 2018. So their fifteenth title together alongside Olivetti, their third challenger. They did it by beating Julian Cash and Konstantin Franzen for Cash, uh, his twelfth challenger final, first one without Patton after eleven finals, ten of the titles last year. Uh, for Franzen, his third final, having lost the first one to actually Cash and Patton last year in North America. So they they reached this one together. Yeah, Adet and Olivetti are 84 and 18 together. That's that's a crazy <laughs> record. I mean, uh, most of these, I guess, were on... No, actually not even, because the first few years, of course, they were on the Futures Tour. But even last year, they went 19 and 6. Uh, yeah, so that, that's pretty awesome. I mean, I remember them playing a lot in Challengers. I, I think I watched them live even in Kozerki. But, uh, but yeah, I also had no idea about these 12 IDF titles. Yeah, me, me, me neither at all before today. Let's go to Poon, where we had Max Purcell winning three titles in three weeks. It's happened again. Uh, this time beating Luca Nardi, your pick, 6-2-6-3 in the final. His fifth challenger title overall for Purcell. This one he won in a really interesting run. Started by dropping a set to Mukun Sasikumar, but won that with a third set bagel. Then takes out Kuzmanov, uh, drops only two games to Maestrelli, 6-6-2, beats Zekic very comfortably. 6263 and he breaks the top 100 up 21 spots number 95 in the rankings what a brilliant stretch this has been for Purcell what a brilliant three weeks what do you think of it yeah and I mean this is really the the, the easiest title of them all for him yeah uh, of course the previous two included um the previous two include crazy finals not this time um, as you said, Nardi was my pick, and I can't really say you dodged the bullet there because it wasn't close. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think Nardi didn't really learn much from their previous um, encounter. You know, he he still really um, just tried to play, you know, thought that if he plays 50 low margin shots and 10 go in, he's going to beat Purcell. 
and I guess uh, especially at altitude in the past two events uh, in that game of uh, Purcell where he's really consistent but also has that huge serve it's really benefited from that I think only Mukund broke broke him actually I think I think he did it twice and and that was it uh, for the whole week so yeah even the you know even though Purcell probably was running on fumes a little bit at the beginning of the week maybe you know after the Duckworth clash uh, as the week went on, he was just not even challenged, and all his matches were actually really short. And yeah, this is a this is an absurd run, of course. Uh, 108 ranking spots, I think, uh, in just three weeks, um, and also 300 points because all of these were challenger 100s. This is very reminiscent of what Aslan Karatsev did after the restart in 2020, when he jumped 140 ranking spots. Uh, to like almost break the top 100. I think he broke the top 100 maybe only with the Australian Open um, later in you know in January. Uh, but he almost broke it with that three-week stretch where he actually just won two events and lost one in the final to uh, Stan Wawrinka. Um, I think Karatsev, you know, Purcell doesn't really have the ability to have that that sort of a big, you know, a Grand Slam semi. Uh, but he certainly has a bit of a quirky game that's especially on these young players like Nardi Medjedovic in recent weeks. You could see they no, they aren't Maestrelli as well. They, they aren't really sure how to handle it. And uh, I guess that's also going to be a bit of a strength for him going forward. Just the fact that no one really plays like him anymore on the on the ATP tour and um you know some players are gonna be unprepared also I have to mention that uh free titles in three weeks is actually a pretty common feat as it's as it seems like in since 1999 which is uh when it when the records uh so far you know starts on in the media guide for the challenger tour I suppose that's the first occur- occurrence of that as well like I it's not stated that it's since 1999 so I suppose it just never happened before 1999 but it happened um let me tell you this is the uh, sorry i should have counted that before but as usual i'm i'm sort of unprepared i think it i think this this is the 14th time it's it's happened you know recently we've had uh, of course bonzi and Griegspor in 2021 shelton in 2022 and there's actually one player who won three titles in three consecutive weeks twice i would ask that to you as a trivia question but there's no way you're gonna get it so i'm just gonna tell you that it's takao suzuki Oh, the, wow. the guy who played famously played Federer twice and once at the Australian Open and once at um, Tokyo, I think, and almost beat him in Tokyo. It was like a deciding set tie break. Uh, and yeah, he won uh, in 2000 and in 2002. And Purcell is the 14th player to do that. We've had four uh, you know achievements like that in the past three years, which is definitely above average. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I wonder if we're gonna get another one this year because there's so many players with the potential to just go on a go on a streak like we saw with with Shelton. Like, I mean, if if you tell me that like Alex Mickelson does, mm-hmm. does in, like, at the end of the at the at the end, <laughs> at the end of, of the year, the year yeah. I, I I would not be entirely shocked. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it makes sense. Yeah, let's talk about our finalists for Luca Nardi, his fourth challenger final, the first one that he's lost. Uh, he started his run by beating Benjamin Locke, 6-1-7-5, then came back from a sit-down against Justino, took out Triona Gucci, 6-3-6 love in the quarterfinals, and then beat Dominic Palan, the surprise package of this tournament, 7-6-1-6-7-5, really struggled to that win. Up 23 spots, number 128. What did you think of Nati this week? Yeah, I mean, he hasn't started the year well, that's for sure. Um, yeah. 
the 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 whole run was kind of easy of course like at least easy in terms of the you know the path the the, the field um if he like played Purcell close at least, or even or if he beat him, then we would be saying what a great week for Nardi. But the fact that the final was so, yeah, so, so it's such an uh, anticlimactic moment. I just um, you know it kind of casts a bit of a shade on um, on Nardi's week. But of course he he really needed that. It, the, the, these are important points for him. He dropped one challenger title already. He's gonna drop one soon in Lugano. Lugano, yeah, Lugano. I always have to think if it's Lugano or Biel. And uh, yeah, uh, suddenly if he beat Purcell, he would be at like 115 in the ATP rankings again. But of course, that didn't come to fruition. And um, as a whole, you gotta, you know, you gotta like the result. Does it solve Lucanardi's problems? Especially, you know, the return was so poor against Palan, against Purcell. Does it solve his problems? I'm not sure, but, um, well, my, 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 uh, weird stunt of picking Lucanardi for the third time in a row almost, almost worked. <laughs> uh, and it would have been very funny, but yeah, unfortunately, I guess not unfortunately yeah, because we have that great story of Purcell winning three challengers in a row. So yeah, I mean, like you sort of said, the, the final loss, changes the perception mm -hmm. of this run altogether for me just because like to go to, to to make it to the final by dropping sets to justino and palan and not really beating anybody impressive and then to not really be competitive in that final it, it sort of dampens the week and just yeah. makes you really think like what did i really achieve this week like i, I beat log justino noguchi and palan and then i made it to the final but wasn't really competitive in that final at all fun fact about lucanardi about his first ITF title. Do, do you know about his first ITF title? No way, no. So his first ITF title was was uh, was an M15 right before the pandemic, and he beat Yaroslav Pospisil in his third set tiebreaker to to win it. Uh, I just thought that was quite fun, and I, and I came across mm -hmm. it when I was looking at it. did not remember that at all, no. But, yeah. Let's I thought, I thought maybe, uh, you know, when you started saying that, I thought maybe he was going to be born in Belgium too. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the different kind of fun fact. Uh, this one. But yeah, let's talk about our semifinalists, starting with Dominique Palan, who made the semifinals here out of nowhere. His first challenger main draw wins, aged 22. Uh, he beat Petrnoza and Punacha in the qualies. Then he takes out Svarchina. That was a shock to me, sort of, even though Svarchina has been out of form. Then he takes out Nagal in a third in, in the third set, 6-4. Then he takes out Chunsin Tseng, 6-3 uh, in the third, just insane. And pushes Nardi all the way, 7-5 in the third. Um, he did do well in India at the end of last season. He, he won an M25 title there and uh, made a final. Uh, moves up 82 spots, number 330. What did you think of Palan? How do you think he achieved these wins? And what, what, what do you think of him as a player overall? Yeah, that, that Pospisil Nardi final, by the way, was not only the last final that the, the 40, 42 year old Czech uh, had, but also his uh, last uh, quarter final, even. So I guess that's a oh. bit of a better story than, uh, than I even yeah, realized. His, his, his final stand in yeah. Shemel Sheikh in March 2020. And who would have known at the, at the time that, <laughs> uh, you know, 
yeah, where Nardi would be in three years. I guess you could expect, you know, with the with the junior career that he had, maybe not an IDF juniors, but uh, prior to that. Anyway, yeah, Dominique Palan uh, definitely wasn't on a radar, uh, not necessarily. Uh, I mean, he qualified in Nantaburi, beating Orlov and Royer, but otherwise, uh, no, nothing amazing. Uh, but yeah, the guy turns out he has a very big serve, and of course, on at altitude, that was really helpful. Um, you know, Sang, um, he has been kind of disappointing, uh, but I guess that's his real level on um, on hard courts as well at the moment. But for sure, a couple of phenomenal wins for Palan, who I think never even faced a top 200 opponent. And yet he beat Sang and Sujina here. And then Nagal, I think, is a win of similar quality, probably, in, this, in these Indian the challengers. Sure. Yeah, in these Indian challengers especially. And yeah, I, I was fully expecting him to trouble Nardi, frankly, after after watching him against Seng and Nagal, because, um, yeah, Nardi's return has been pretty poor, and you could see it in the semi. Like, until that 6-5 game, he was not even close to touching balance serve. Uh, you know, of course, even in the in the core, like the full course of the match, Palan won more games than Nardi. But of course, the fact that she that he won the set six one uh, doesn't really give him anything. <laughs> uh, you know, at the at the end, uh, he he was still the loser there. But of course, a, a pretty nice uh, run. We'll see if it's repeatable. He was definitely playing with a lot of confidence. Now, uh, you know, next to that big serve, but. You can kind of assume that it's going to be hard to just, you know, jump from it to another challenger, especially not one held in altitude conditions. And maybe he should try to go to Morelos and whatever the second, uh, you know, the second uh, Mexican uh, hardcore event this year is Leon, I think. Maybe he should try going there because it seems like the conditions there would uh, would be very good for him. Yeah, I mean, right now he's scheduled for New Delhi and Calabasas, so we'll we'll see we'll see how that goes. Uh, let's talk about our other semifinals. Who was Zekic? He made uh, the semis by beating Yoon Seung Chung, took out James Duckworth in a third set tiebreaker, also beat Harold Mayo in the quarters. His first challenger semifinal since Bogota last year, which was in July. What did you think of Zekic? Yeah, and speaking of guys who are good at altitude, right? I mean, uh, last year, uh, Zekic had a lot of great runs, especially on clay. Uh, of course, in hard courts, he has like barely played in his entire career, but he, he has an, um, aggressive clay court game. So you, you are not going to be that surprised. Uh, I've had a bit of a chat with, um, well, I guess even an argument with a friend of mine this week, uh, like in regards to whether 500 meters is already altitude conditions. And I think maybe there's also some other factors at play. You know, maybe not every single 500 meter court is going to play the same depending on where in the world you are. But clearly in, in Bangalore, Pune, Monterey, you could clearly see the impact of that. And I think, you know, uh, Zekic Duckworth, that match was barely over two hours, even though it went to, to the third set tiebreaker. And, um, yeah, Zekic, Zekic with his service, um, most often going to be a threat. And he definitely proved it here. He stopped Duckworth from getting to another Duckworth per cell match, which would have been a fun story as well. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, yeah, Zekic was able to, um, stop that and get to the semifinals himself. Yeah, let's go over to the doubles where we had Chandra Sekar and Prasant win their first Chandra title together after reaching the final last week in Bengaluru. 
Uh, and they beat Toshide Matsui and Kaito Wesugi, their second final already this season, 19th challenger final for Toshide Matsui, just a couple of months before turning 45 years old. Uh, unbelievable from yeah when, when will he finally get that final that the title right i mean uh it was matsuyama mm. last year and also two already this year um i mean of course at 45 i guess it it, it has to be slim picking sort of but he is in the top 200 now in doubles and i'm really waiting for him to to grab that uh that title hopefully he still has a chance to do that in some upcoming weeks yeah because he's still waiting for his 10th title right i think Possibly, I I checked that sound. Yeah, I'm, I'm, but... I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, but let's move on to Waco, where we had Alexander Kovacevic get a point for both of us in the winners' picks, beating Alexander Muller, six three four six six two second challenger title in his career already this season as well. After he won Cleveland, on this run he beat Ryan Harrison, Nick Hart, Gasta Elias, and Borna Goyo all in straight sets. Uh, took revenge on Goyo from Monterrey uh, quarterfinals. Uh, only dropped a set in the final there to Muller. Up 40 spots to number 107, 30 points away from the top 100. What did you think of uh, Kovacevic this week? Yeah, uh, I guess you can really see that uh, he is a much more composed, consistent player right now. Uh, he is definitely not as streaky, not as uh, just, just wild as in the past. And I think a lot of that probably boils down to that backhand being just uh, solid, also good, in, good uh, pretty good in defense. Even uh, the past couple of months, uh, Cleveland, you know, he basically won it with, with his backhand being a great defensive resource in the final. To here, maybe not so much because this was more about the quality of his first serve as a whole, I think. Uh, but of course, the you know the the field was not as strong as it was in Cleveland, I guess. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he shouldn't have dropped a set, frankly, in this tournament. But uh, but yeah, he didn't take some chances in the final in the second set, and then just had one one poor game, basically, which allowed Miller to get it to a decider. But uh, yeah, it was just hard to overcome that serve difference, and as well, um, you know, just Miller is kind of uncomfortable on the attack. Kovacevic the other way around, and. Um, yeah, it showed as as he said, revenge over Goyo as well, which um, I thought was maybe going to be a bit tougher for him. But I guess here it was also one of these moments where we saw the the impact of the altitude conditions in Monterey. Uh, in Waco, it was uh, you know the the, the edge was um, a little bit more towards uh, Kovacevic. Of course, it's still tight. They both have massive first serves, uh, but yeah, Kovacevic is so close to the top one hundred now. I'm yeah, like there, there's no doubt in my mind that he's that he's gonna do it this year, and very excited yeah. to see what he can do in Indian Wells, where he got a major wildcard, and rightfully so. Like if he, if he didn't, it would have been a travesty. And I'm not saying that from the perspective, you know, from the perspective of someone who just saw him win Waco, I I would have said the same uh, a week ago. Yeah, absolutely, well deserved wildcard, especially coming off of that that Waco title he's also signed up for for Phoenix well Phoenix qualities because of because of how many people are signed up to Phoenix yeah but maybe he's gonna get a wild card to uh, Phoenix as yeah, well right it, it's possible yeah, or 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 maybe even reach the main draw this depends on how many people actually go yeah. to Phoenix compared to who's signed up right now uh and yeah it, it is a matter of, of if not when with the top 100 for him almost for sure 
Let's talk a bit about Alexander Muller, his third challenger final here. He saved two match points in his first round against Juan Pablo Fikovic, going 10-8 in a third set tiebreaker, then destroyed Marco Tronchetti, 6-1-6-2, came back from a set-down against Hong to win 6-2 in the third, and then beat Mikkelsen, 6-3-6 love, up 70 spots, 17 spots to number 129, his new career high ranking, 105 points away from the top 100. Can he do it? Can he maximize his maximize his talent and, and break the top 100 yeah i guess he's still you know um the odds aren't in his favor right now i would say uh would they be if he won waco yeah i i, I guess he would like his chances although it's still kind of tight i guess he needs to do it before that um first challenger title drops right uh what was it like blois or something like that in in june last year uh, maybe Toulouse, something yeah, like that. Uh, yeah, some, some, some French city. And um, yeah, uh, right now with the runner-up points, I still don't think he will do it. And even in the final, you could see, uh, you know, a lot of the issues that he has with his game. But of course, it's been a very good start to the to 2023 for him, especially with the Doha quarterfinal, which did seem kind of random still, uh, you know, with the huge comebacks against Mahach, against Strang. And uh, of course, even taking a set of Andimare in the quarters. And here, uh, he also saved two match points against Juan Pablo Fikovic in the first round. So, you know, very well. It, it pretty much uh, didn't have to be like that. I mean, he, he could have lost in the opening round. Um, now, he, he, he doesn't really have an ATP tour game to me, but well uh if he can if he's able to gain more points until june maybe maybe it's a possibility i also checked um the wildcards in phoenix last year and it was wolf nakashima eubanks so i think it's pretty clear that if kovacic doesn't get in he can expect a wildcard there as well they seem to be like not going for anything weird but just good american <laughs> talents so <laughs> yeah on Muller, i'm going to zag compared to you i actually do think that he'll Ooh. make it uh, 105 points. He has very little to defend until that second half. Uh, with with Blois and the Leon Challenger, he 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 has to defend an accent mm. Rubens quarterfinal, but that's about it. Where are his it's... points coming from then? Like so 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 he has Blois. He he made a bunch of semifinals and quarterfinals last year. Like I just feel at like the end of the year, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It, all, all all in the second half. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is that I think that he has a big enough window up until June. Uh, to to accumulate enough points and maybe, yeah, get, get a career high ranking, uh, inside the top one hundred, I believe. Okay. Um. Yeah. I when when I'm looking at where his points are, I I guess it kind of makes sense. But you know, it, it, yeah, it, it will definitely be a push. I don't, I don't think he's guaranteed. Or yeah. Anything, I think that he has a good enough chance to make it more likely than not likely, for me. Okay. I, I'm still on the other side, but uh, we'll see. Maybe it's also, you know, my my sort of uh, um, idea that um, players who are just maybe a little too focused on consistency usually don't make it. But uh, you're right that his situation in terms of points is actually really good right now. Um, if he can just do anything on clay in March, uh, you know, in April, May, and this is usually where he's best at, uh, then, yeah. then yeah, he has a very good shot, sure.
All right, let's move on to our semi-finalists, starting with Alex Mickelson, who reached the semis by beating Maximilian Marterer, 6-6-3, Alex Bolt, 6-2-6-3, also beat Alexander Vukic in straight sets in the quarterfinals. Of course, ran out of juice completely by the time he faced Muller in the semis, only won three games there, uh, but that's understandable after reaching the final last week. Up to number 306 in the rankings now, which is a huge jump over these past two weeks. What did you think of Mikkelsen this week? And how far do you think he can go? Yeah, um, I think what we said earlier about him, uh, basically, like we wouldn't be surprised if he does a Ben Shelton at the end of the year, uh, you know, win two free challenges in a row. Like it would be more surprising maybe than, um, than Shelton was. Uh, but it's not certainly not out of the equation. Uh, as we, I think, said also last time, he is committed to the University of Georgia. But if he keeps developing like that, he might have a tough decision to make. You know, maybe we're going to see him play a year like Ben Shelton, like um, Diana Schneider Shall on bike. the women's side. Yeah, Shelby, just, just play a year and then um you know skip his remaining uh, eligibility because yeah it just looks like the guy could be a bit too too good for college in a few months time uh, but anyway um just another amazing week in terms of the first few wins against miller i think it was um well maybe he was fatigued one that's one thing but also uh we are kind of seeing that good defenders can really uh just just mess him up uh thompson did it uh, and i think alexander miller did it as well uh, part of that was probably also maybe being tired. I mean, that that we can't really tell, but uh, he he certainly has still still has some issues in terms of just you know being patient and um, trying to like keeping the ball in court until he can find the right spot to attack. But that's yeah, that's normal. That that comes with experience. He is kind of raw, but uh, you can see that there's a lot of potential there. And I think um, well, I've seen I've seen a lot of excitement about Alex Mikkelsen this year and. Uh, I think it's very deserved. So uh, we'll see how much he plays because that that's I guess is the also another like uh, you know where does he play from here? Um, he did receive a qualifying wildcard for Indian Wells, but you know later we we have like no idea what what the guy will actually have on his schedule. So that's also going to be a bit of a question. Yeah, our other semifinalist was Borna Goyo, who beat Benoit Pair in the first round then beat Shion Bukuro and got a second set retirement from Mochizuki. He made a final last week. What were your thoughts on Goyo this week? Yeah, nothing really. I mean, the, the guy is um, coming closer to the top 100 as well. Um, I guess at this point, you kind of have to like his chances to get there as well. Uh, he's at 475. He he is also like in a pretty de- decent spot ranking-wise uh, you know, in terms of defending points. Uh, not that much uh, happening really on his ranking in the next few months until Roland Garros. Uh, then the second half of the year maybe could be maybe could be kind of tough. But you know, Ortisay isn't until the end of October, and um, yeah, even if his game, if you, if you, even if his baseline game can sometimes be a little uh, unimpressive, uh, the serve is always uh, like a huge weapon and. Yeah, he just he was just pretty good this week again until he met Kovacevic. And yeah, I guess it's tied now between them. <laughs> I don't think they played earlier than Monterey. So uh maybe they can be one of the you know the best rivalries of the Challenger Tour when we're talking about it at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, let's also talk about a quarter finals that I've picked out here, Shintaro Mochizuki, who pulled off a nice upset in the first round of Rinki Hijikata. 
winning 7-5 in the third, then beat Galarno as well to reach his third challenger quarterfinal at 19 years old, but of course suffered an injury against Goyo. Any thoughts on, on Mochizuki? There, um, I remember uh, there was a moment when he also made the quarter, made the quarterfinal like a year ago, and um, I remember you also wanted to mention that, and I was like, honestly, I didn't see anything new in Mochizuki. He's, and he's, I, he's a, he's I'm, I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say that again. Yeah, but I mean, he is one of the more generic Asian players to me. You know, maybe, maybe it takes him. Maybe it's going to take just take him a while, and then he's going to blossom like um, Seung Chang Hong, Seung Chang Seung Chang Hong did recently, or Su. Uh, but I guess Su has a lot more power. But uh, you know, maybe maybe someone like Kong. I I definitely have. Um, I've been thinking about this recently a bit, and there's like um, it, it's it's kind of racist when you say it like that. But I mean, a lot of these young Asian players are are great ball strikers, but their physicality is keeping them back. And uh, you know, Mochizuki, of course, he won juniors Wimbledon. He has great hands, but you kind of can't really use he, he can't really use them against a lot of opponents and yeah <laughs> that's all really all i wanted to say he is playing pacheco mendes in puerto vallarta though so he has a very good chance of progressing there yeah i mean like you, your argument is is supported by the amount of of successful asian players we see on on the juniors level because yeah. there because there's a lot of them and they 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 don't always quite make it through uh, to to be at the very top of the ATP level, and yeah, I mean so, so sometimes they come all the way back around and surprise again. So you can like like Yibing Wu did, that was that was very yeah. interesting. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if it's physicality or some and, other factor, and, and, but yeah, it could be. Yeah, it, it is definitely a, a pattern that we see of of a lot of young talented Asian players yeah. that don't always then break through onto the main door. Let's talk about the doubles, where we had the Sabanov brothers win their fourth challenger title together, 29th overall in their careers. Uh, they beat Evan King and Mitchell Kruger. Let's go to match of the week, episode of the week. Where would you like to start? I guess we can start with the upset. And I see that for the bookies, it's actually Zekic over Duckworth, but that's Yes, I mean you gotta go with Uchida over Fields. I I, yeah. I don't see another option really. And um, Zekic over Duckworth was pretty big, but the odds were crazy as well. Like there's no way uh, you can ever make Zekic that sort of. And, but I guess Zekic was even a huge underdog against the Onsen Chung, so maybe that's why. Who who knows why? I mean, like I, I guess hardcores, but then you know he he is on altitude there. Uh, had a nice run. Yeah, I'm I'm also joining you on, on Uchida overfields. I was surprised despite the semifinal run from Uchida last week. Uh, shocked even so, I will I was definitely upset by that match. Let's go to match of the week where I think we'll match once again. Uh, Luca Van Ash beating Gumbert in that historic, almost four hours long final. Uh, that has to be the one for me. Are you, are you matching me there? Of course, and I mean I think everyone will. Um, I I did pull out the you know put the Twitter poll again, uh, where I just uh, had to pick three other matches. But it was a struggle, frankly. I, like, I just think there's nothing that really can rival this. Uh, even though I think, um, you know, it wasn't like the highest quality match I've seen this year on the Challenger Tour, but, you know, the, the sheer length of it with um, two quality players as well, uh, it, it it's really something historical. And yeah, 
uh, on the poll that I, that, you know, I, I made the poll three hours ago. It has won 60 votes and Van Asch over Umber has 81% of them. So yeah, the people agree uh, and uh, we agree. Uh, as well. So uh, our match of the weeks and upset of the weeks, or, or rather match matches of the week and upsets of the week are the same um, this time. Yes. And so we can move on to the previews. We have four challengers coming at you. One 100, three 75s, uh, all in sort of different conditions. So it's going to be a, a fun week. Let's start in the 100, Puerto Vallarta. Um, where we have Daniel Atmaier as a top seed facing off with Dominic Kepfer. Winner will then face Elmar Ejupovic or a qualifier. We also have Gabriel Diallo as the other seed in the section playing Yuta Shimizu and then Galarno or Luka Lemaitre. Juan Pablo Fikovic is the fourth seed playing a qualifier and then Shima Bukuro or another qualifier. Siang Chan Hong plays Ulysses Blanche and then one of two protected rankings, Alex Bolt or the recently married Bjorn Fratangelo. He married Madison Keys. I perpetually forget that they're in a relationship always every single time i see something about it, i'm like oh they're together it's the first but, uh his first match right since like uh yeah, long, long while time, i think yeah uh us open qualities i remember when, when we first started doing this podcast i uh saw a match with beer for Tajilo where he was shouting at tyson kwiatkowski about being a pusher <laughs> <laughs> And anyway, remember that? Okay. <laughs> yeah, he was like shouting at him about playing like he was like play like a man, play like a man. Wow. At Tyson Kwiatkowski. That was that was wild. I should, I should have tweeted about it because it was just unfolding there after after the match. Uh but let's get back to this draw where Yadokoinski plays a qualifier as the eighth seed, and then one of two other qualifiers. Facundo Mena plays Gasta Eliash and then Shintaro Mochizuki, who's in here despite the withdrawal. From the match last week, he plays Rodrigo Pacheco Mendez. So it is a good draw for him for sure. Enzo Coaco plays Denis Yevsev and then Marco Trunjeti or Aziz Dugas. And Benoit Pair is the fifth seed here playing Nicolas Mejia and then Daniel Rincon or Alan Fernando Rubio Fieros. Overall, not the strongest of draws, but let's see what the qualifying has to offer. We have Evan Zhu playing Jacopo Berrettini. We also have Guido Andreozzi, already won his first match, as has the Camps, as has Rybakov, who I think would be an interesting one, but could face Marchenko still. We also have names like Martin Dam in this draw. Uh, so, so it is an interesting one. And in a week or draw, I think one of these players could make a run. James McCabe here, of course, as well. Yeah. Um, over in the doubles, we have some banging matchups, by the way. We have Dumbia as Rebul as the top seeds playing Andreozzi, uh, playing Andreozzi Duran. In the first round, which is amazing. We have Nicolas Mahout here playing with Hans Hachvedugo. Uh, they will face Xiang Chen Hong and Jisung Nam. We also have Nicolas Barrientos uh, and Ariel Behar facing William Blumberg and Luis David Martinez, which is a really strong draw. Really looking forward to it. Benoit Pair is also playing doubles with Daniel Moreno, who doesn't have an ATP page, so I don't really know who he is. But a tennis player. I'm I'm sure. We'll, well, is he a tennis player? That, that that's also sort of questioning. In this <laughs> I case. guess. But... Um. Well, <laughs> he has played some matches. I mean, last year he only played UTRs and got three wins. 
losing to players like Patino. Patino is probably the only guy I remember. And, and he's he, American. It, it, it's interesting yeah. in terms of wealth because it reminds me of the James Van Dyne's. Uh, that, that, that's what I was thinking. He beat Isaiah Strode in 2017. But I guess Isaiah Strode was uh, like 19 then. So maybe it's not that, not that big a win. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, going back to the main draw singles, who do you think will lift the title? Yeah, this, we have to remember here that Daniel Atmaier is ranked like 100 spots higher than anyone else here. Yeah. <laughs> so but it's basically really the question of whether we want to pick Atmaier against the field. For what it's worth, his draw is actually kind of tough. Uh, like the bottom half... It's, it's definitely the toughest section, I think, of, yeah, of all the sections. The bottom yeah. half is a, a big mess. I would not be surprised with any, like either some qualifiers winning this, uh, like making the final. Uh, McCabe, Andreozzi, um, maybe even someone like Rybakov or the winner of, uh, actually the winner of Dam Walton plays Andreozzi. So um, I guess more like Andreozzi. But yeah, anyone can do it in the bottom half re- realistically. I mean, Gastao Elias has just played some pretty good tennis in Waco. Maybe maybe he can take it to Puerto Vallarta. Uh, I don't know. Um, and I, I, I do I want to pick Altmaier? You know, he, he gets Kepfer, which can be tricky, even though the German is just returning from an injury and has not been sharp at all. Ejupovic in the second round, you know, it's not that easy. And then Diallo or Galarno, that's really a tough section for him. But I think I will still pick Daniel Altmaier. Like, he's just that much better, you know, than the rest. And um, you you know that he's going to be motivated because uh, skipping Indian Wells qualifying in order to play this event... That that really shows you, you know, that premeditation sort of that that shows you he's gonna be a hundred percent focused on doing well here. So even though I think if he plays Diallo, for example, in the quarters, I'm not gonna be that confident. Uh, but I still have to do it. And the second half, uh, second quarter is actually pretty rough as well. Uh, we don't know what Fratangelo will play, but even someone like Hong Bolt, uh, they can also pose a threat even to Altmaier. So. Yeah, if Daniel Altmaier was in the bottom half, he'd be 100% that big here. Uh, because the bottom half is so weak, uh, I actually am thinking of something else, but I just think almost anyone can do it there. You know, you wouldn't be surprised seeing a breakout run from Rincon, for example, um, or maybe yeah, maybe someone from the qualies. So yeah, I think I have to stick with Altmaier. Yeah, I'm going to join you on that pick. Uh, I'm puzzled by by how this, well, not puzzled. I mean, I, I guess I understand why this field is, is so weak. I, I guess I just can't really <laughs> believe it, but, but it is so weak. Uh, Altman, of course, won Puerto Vallarta when it was held at the end of the 2021 season. And I think, I believe he was in like poor form at that time as well, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. I think he was um, actually playing very well in hard courts in, at the end of 2021. He also had that match in uh, against Sock, which I think he won in one of the American challengers. I think it was actually a pretty, pretty good match for him. Uh, yeah, okay, final, yeah, final right. in he, Knoxville. He was, sort of, he, he was sort of going like back and forth fourth on the oh he actually played clear and yeah i I, I messaged yeah second half of 2021 was very strong for him actually yeah but yeah so i i do think he's going to win this title despite kepfer and diallo and whoever else in his section fun fact about puerto vallata is that um when it was held in 1997 Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> as I found out through this uh, weird thing here, they actually had a bunch of doubles legends play against each other in a in a challenger, who, or people who would go on to become doubles legends. Knowles and Bupati played each other in a semi. Knowles early in the tournament played the under pays. Uh, Bupati earlier in that tournament beat Kevin Uliet, who also went on to win a slam in doubles. Uh, anyway, I just thought that yeah, was... that's quite interesting because I guess Pace was a was a main tour player in singles at least for a moment, and I, I don't think Knowles and Bupati were so for them to but get yeah, to a challenger just, semi. That, would, that that would just be a year after his Olympics. Yeah, medal was it? Yeah, ninety six. Yeah, nineteen ninety six. Yeah. Anyway, back to the tennis. <laughs> Uh, we go to Santiago, where the top seed. Oh wait, hold on a second and give me the like the, the top seed is Nicolas Jari. Although I guess you know we're still kind of unsure whether he's gonna play, depending on how his Santiago final goes, which is played at the moment. Yeah, well, let me open this draw because because on the ATP website it was showing me the old draws. Of something yeah. showing like Yuzhilechka. Anyway, we go to Santiago where the top seed for the moment is Nicolas Hari. He plays Matias Soto and then Gonzalo Lama or Luciano Datteri. Facundo Diaz Acosta plays Nicolas Kiker and then Federico Del Bonis or a qualifier. Facundo Bagnis plays Bruno Kuzuhara, who obviously won Australian Open Boys last year. Uh, so he gets the accelerator spot. Winner will face Casanova or a qualifier. Serundolo, Juan Manuel Serundolo is also in the section, playing Gonzalo Bueno or Tomas Barrios Vera. We also have Hugo Delien playing Andrea Pellegrino and then Vavasori or Tirante. Agamenone plays a qualifier and then Navone or Puruchaga. Cecchinato plays Bonadio in the first round and then Olivieri or a qualifier. Hugo Carabelli plays Vialon and then Renzo Olivo or a qualifier. In the qualifying, we have the big bombshell, obviously, of Hugo Gaston, uh, who, well, we'll see. I mean, he dropped the first set that he played to Bor Ortnak, which I don't think that that was a real person. No, Artnak uh, uh, Artnak was actually top ten junior and um was he? Yeah, place uh, Davis Cup uh, place Davis Cup for Slovenia. I'm not sure whether he actually also isn't like um uh, eligible for uh you know the uh accelerator spots or or not. No, maybe maybe he is not. Uh but, maybe, but he, maybe he wasn't top ten junior. Potentially. Oh yeah, he he was yeah he, he he did have an accelerator spot uh, at first, but then he just got it's in on his own ranking. Acceptance. Yeah, then yeah. he then he got in on his own ranking. But yeah, he was eligible as the twentieth, um, you know, the twentieth player. But but yeah, he was a top ten junior uh, at number ten, but still, and he plays Davis Cup for Slovenia already. Either way, yeah, I mean, completely slipped under my radar, my bad, but he still took off a set of Hugo Gaston, which was a pretty big shock. Uh, Gaston went not to win 6-7-6-1-6-1. He is the main threat from qualifying for sure. We also have Juan Bautista Torres, Dutra da Silva, Seibosvild, uh, some of the familiar regular suspects that we have in these qualifying draws. Over in the doubles, we have Hidalgo and Rodriguez as the top seeds. We also have Gonzalez and Romboli. We've got Dateri and Vavasori, and they actually play Gaston and Seibosvild, which will be an interesting <laughs> uh, team. We also have Kiker and Ugukarabe teaming up. It's all happening in the doubles. But going back to the singles, who do you think will lift the title? 
Yeah, uh, Gaston playing the qualifying, do I actually trust him to get through it against Buscardin Diaz? I guess, but do I trust him to win the event? Probably not. Yeah, I don't want to pick Jari because I'm I'm really not sure if he's going to play. Currently, when we're recording this, uh, they are in a first set time break with Echeverry. Uh, so I guess he's still going strong, but you know. Even I, I think even if he's a uh, runner-up in that event, it, it's not sure. Uh, you know, we can't really be sure that he's going to play Santiago. And if he, even if he plays, it, it would be a fair long week in a row, in, in a row potentially. I really like Bagnis's first two rounds, but then he can play Serundolo, and that kind of isn't great. Serundolo can also play Paris Vera or Bueno in the second round. That's pretty tough. Um, I am thinking of Hugo Delian as well. It's not like his draw is that great. I mean, Pellegrino than Vafasori Tirante, but he has been performing much better than these guys recently, uh, especially during the Golden Swing. I mean, recently he's mostly talking about this year because, of course, he was out for the second half of 2022. But but yeah, the past few events uh, at the Golden Swing, Delian did really well. So I think I'm going to go for that. Um, Bonadio Cecchinato is a tough one as well. So... Uh, Ugo Carabelli not in such great form. Yeah, I think Delian makes the most sense here for me. I am bummed about this because I've also chosen Ugo Delian, um, defending champion in Santiago, uh, also won it in 2019. Uh, I really liked his performances over the entire Golden Swing. Yeah. Of course, he makes a semi in, in Cordoba, which which was the big one, but also in Rio uh, took care of Joao Souza, took care of Alex Molchan, even though in a weird match, took a set off Cam Nori. Uh, Tirante is in form in his section, but overall, I like his section quite a bit. I think the bottom half is the weaker one, especially if Harry plays. Uh, Harry, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he's going to be top 70, even if he loses, I think. So I don't know if the motivation is really going to be there for him to to play this event. Although I have heard or saw on Twitter that apparently his family owns the the 250 in Santiago. Yeah. So I wonder if they also own this one and that would be the motivation. They could, but is. I mean, even if he plays, you know, um, after these two long weeks... Even he's, he's not going to win it. Yeah, yeah even in some, even so far this week, he has been sort of running on fumes in a lot of these matches. I mean, right now, at least from the score, he seems like he's doing well in the final. But uh, you know, uh, against Schwartzman, against uh, also against uh, Munar, he was down and out. So yeah, I don't think he's winning this. Yeah, so I think I'm going to match you on Gudalian and stick with my original choice here. So, yeah, Jesus, so far, two, two common picks already, mentioned. yeah. <laughs> so hopefully we break the trend now when we go to Lugano, where the top seed is Heis Brauer facing Autok Celik-Bilek. He could then face wildcard Jakub Paul or a qualifier. Lukas Klein is the seventh seed here playing a qualifier and then Jean-Bor Piroš or Alexander Richard. We also have Ramba Cancio playing Peter Gojovcik and then Manuel Guinard or Mika Brunold, which is a Swiss wildcard I've not heard of before. Zizou Bergs plays Antoine Escoffier and then Antoine Bellier or Adrian Andreev. Jelle Sells plays Oleksi Krutich and then Otto Vitanen or Matteo Gigante. Norbert Gombos plays Berankis and then Grenier or a qualifier in that same section. In the final section, though, we have Dominic Stricker facing Rafael Colignon in a great first round. The winner will face one of two qualifiers. Liam Brody plays Michal Kukushkin and then Pierre-Uk Herbert or a qualifier. In the qualifying, we have some interesting names. We have Jonas Forejtek, Cem Ilkel, Durasovic, 
uh, Edas Butvilash uh, actually bought, uh, bought, beat Bu Yunchaukete. We also have Gautier on Klein, who's the top seed in qualifying. He could come through. As could Kopil, who beat Masur in three tie breaks. Over in the doubles, we have Dustin Brown and Aysam Ulha Kureshi as the top seeds. We have Adet and Olivetti, the champions from last week, playing. Drzewiecki and Valkovar teaming up. We have Arnaud on my sport as the second seed. Libietis and Margaroli keep getting all these wildcards. I mean, I guess Margaroli is Swiss, so it makes sense. But they've. it's surprising that they're getting so many wildcards to me. But going back to the singles, who do you think will win it all? I feel like we're gonna pick. We're gonna want to at least pick the same guy. I don't know if maybe you're gonna change your mind or something. We'll see. Uh, but for now, uh, let's say that yeah, if someone like Onclan qualifies, maybe even someone like Emery, I'm I'm really excited to see what Butfilas will do as well. But Ilkar Durasovic, what an awesome uh, qualifying mm-hmm. matchup! I hope I'm gonna be able to see it tomorrow. Um, I'm actually gonna check when is it when when it is right now. Uh, yeah, it's oh, it's ten. Yeah, I should be able to see like the first set maybe. Uh, but anyway, um, looking at the draw, there's a lot of contenders here. Like it's really strong. I uh, you know Klein uh, really needs wins, but I don't. I don't trust him at this point. He has what is the top seed in the challenger? That's something. You know, two years ago, uh, or even one year ago, um, in, in March, if you told me, I would be like, what? Who? <laughs> maybe, maybe not who, but I would be saying that, yeah, you're crazy. It's not going to happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't trust him in that quarter with Chalik Bilak, Pirosh, Richard Klein. Uh, it seems tough. Uh, Brancaccio into hardcourt, he's not that much of a threat. There's a great first round between Bergs and Escoffier. Of course, of course, Bergs has has lost uh, to Belier uh, this week. So um, even the second round against Andrea for Belier for neither of these guys is really easy. Uh, Gombos is coming back after an injury. Uh, we'll see how he will handle himself against uh, Berankis. Um, and the Brody, I'm excited to see what Brody does because in the past three events that he played, he only lost to two absolute Russian goats, Daniel Medvedev and Alexei Vatutin. And I have to pick uh, Dominic Stricker, uh, even with some tough qualifiers, even if Brody in his section, you know, he, t- he took a week off after Rovereto. He-, he just played so well there. He played so smart. He was actually willing to fight, willing to grind. I loved it. And um, yeah, if if he is able to replicate that and at home, of course, he is also a former champion of this event. The Lugano was the first challenger that he won back in 2021 um, over Vitaly Sachko in the final. So yeah, got to be Dominic Stricker for me. Yeah, I mean, like it, it, it is, it is a very good choice. It is, it is the obvious choice, I think. And it I is obvious. It is very obvious. Go, yeah, I will go a little maybe. bit weird here okay. um, to avoid matching with even three out of four because that's just embarrassing. So I'm going to save us here, and I will go with Otto Vietanen. Uh, that third section to me, nobody's really in form. Nobody's really playing good, including Vietanen. <laughs> including Vietanen, yes. <laughs> which is a very good point although i mean uh, these th- this is this is what he likes this is fast indoor hard courts so i i think that gives him the best chance out of those people in that section to make it out and then then we'll see what happens if he's in the semifinals. but yeah i mean streaker is the one that i would be 
more confident than as a as a pick. But yeah, I, but I I, 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 I like it because uh, you know he's one of the guys. Like if Stricker is at his very best level, not not many players in this draw can be dangerous to him. And Vithan is definitely among them. It's just a question of whether he actually gets there, but we'll see. All right, let's go over to Antalya, where the top seed is Sebastian Ofner up against Yankee Erel. Winner will face Matevalkus or Ergi Kirkin. Zdeni Kolarch is the other seed in the section playing a qualifier, and then Pimer Kopejans or Nino Setarusic. Slavia Koboli is the third seed playing a qualifier, and then Gianluca Maguer or another qualifier. Damir Jumhur plays a qualifier, and then Nerman Fatic or Ivan Kachov. Uh, Vít Kopšiva is the fourth seed playing a qualifier, and then Vilius Kalbas, who got a wild card here, or Steven Diaz. Lee Tu play, uh, is the other is the other seed in the section playing uh, Michael Hertz, and then Nicolas Sanchez Izquierdo or a qualifier. Final section: Fabian Marojan is the second seed playing Milian Jekic. Then faces Genesi or Gerch. Yonel is the eighth seed playing Roka Bataya, uh, uh, and then Michalski or Dominguez. In the qualifying, we had Mirza Basic win a match. He could qualify. Uh, we also have guys like Stefano Trevalia. Gerald Meltzer is here. He won his first match over Bogdan Bobrov. Uh, Caruso also here. Gianmarco Ferrari. In the doubles, we have Yebavi and Pavlasek playing together. We also have uh, Piotr Matuszewski playing with, with Vít Kopšiva. We have Marojane Valkus teaming up. That'll be pretty fun. Petros Tsitsipas in here as well, playing with Filip Bergevi. And the Sabanov brothers back here as well. But going back to the singles, who do you think will win the title? Um, you must miss the Basic winning a match there. And um, Basic beat uh, Dragos Nikolai Madaras, who, of course, uh, won uh, 20 ITF matches to start the year and then lost here as a huge favorite against Basic. And I recently read a quote from Madaras who said that, um, let me find it. Oh, yeah. I want to win at least 10 ITF tournaments. I want to play every week. I don't want to stop. <laughs> so maybe, uh, you know, maybe his tactic, because I think he's uh, going for, yeah, I think he's going for that record of like nine um, ITF titles in a single season, which was done by that uh, Italian guy who never did much in challengers, I think. Uh Oh no, maybe maybe it was Sabat and the Italian guy got eight. I, I can't remember. Uh, but um anyway, uh, you know, maybe his his mentality is um such that he's gonna lose uh, every single challenger match so that his ranking doesn't go uh, you know uh, under two hundred. <laughs> I don't think he did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, he, no, 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 but, he's gonna yeah. lose every single challenger match on purpose so that his ranking is still, you know, he's still gonna be able to play. Um, on the ITF tour, and he's gonna break the record. I think. I think he's so, gonna so win. So you think he, he has to take weeks off in between the ITFs to go uh, play challenges and yeah. lose early, so he doesn't yeah. get any extra points. To for sure, on. for sure, that's gonna be his tactic. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, speaking of, yeah, Trevalia maybe could be a contender. Gerald Melzer being here is, is is quite wild, but we're gonna see if he can actually beat Moleker because that's that's not an easy ask. I guess uh, at this stage for him, and I guess this is a draw where there's a very big chance that our picks aren't gonna match up, right? Because well, I feel ju like just just to make sure, I'm actually gonna give you my pick first if you don't mind. Okay, just, no, just no, so no, that's, that's fine. Anyway, I'm going to go with Fabian Marojan. 
Okay. Uh, I think I think that this this just feels like an event that he's going to win. I, I think it's very much in his in his bag and his capabilities. Nobody's a better player than him within his half. Um yeah, I, I think it's going to be Marojan. Were you going to go for him or a different mm, direction? I wasn't sure yet. Um I was thinking of doing something totally random because you know I've already picked like three reasonable uh players. Uh now I kind of want to uh do something weird. Uh you know, if I wanted to do something weird, a good option here would be Tyler Michalski. <laughs> you know, the draw is pretty good outside of Manoshan. Uh you know, the first two rounds I really like them. Yonel has been scheduling himself uh, very weirdly this year. Like he's playing a lot of 15Ks while being ranked uh 220. And not even like he won one of these 15Ks, but um, you know, not perhaps so it's like, not, it's like he's Dragos Nikola yeah. out there. He's yeah. not 20, he's not on 20 wins in a row, sure. Uh Gaubas, by the way, I think is a reciprocal wildcard with Vilnius, right? Because Ilka had one uh this year. Must, must be yeah. which is kind of interesting. Know, lost to Safwat in his most recent match. Jesus. Yeah. Um <laughs> we'll see where that goes. <laughs> anyway. I'm not going to go for Maroshan. I'm also not going to go for Michalski. I'm going to go for something also pretty off the board. Um, I, I just want to try it. I'm going to go with Stenek Kolasz. He oh. seems to be in a pretty good spot mentally right now. And, you know, even though he, we haven't seen him on clay this year yet, uh, he has been like consistently reaching quarters, uh, semis. Of course, he just lost to Durasovic in Paul, but um, yeah, I don't think that's a bad loss for him on indoor hard courts. Uh, and for once he has a great chance of going out in the first round i think because he's actually a bit of an outsider despite being seeded i think in the doubles so he's gonna have all the time in the world to focus on on his singles here yeah that's that's my guess for this event because it's really a guess but i i in general if you ask me who's the strongest player here on clay right now i think it's maronshan but he hasn't started the year that well so um you know hopefully uh it's actually gonna be static collage against fabian maronshan in the final and we're gonna get that showdown <laughs> yeah and i guess that's gonna be it for for this week we've picked so many great players we've talked about so many great storylines uh this is truly the best podcast in the world so thanks for listening uh, until the end uh and yeah uh, we love you guys and see you in a week when we're gonna discuss puerto vallarta santiago antalya and lugano bye